0: Welcome to this episode of On the Air, a podcast for individuals interested in teaching and learning about the profession of occupational therapy. I'm Stephanie Lancaster, and this is the space for exchanging and informing as we talk about topics and ideas related to the field of OT. I'm here in the studio today with a guest. Tamara Calhoun, who is an OT, actually a graduate of the University of Tennessee Health Science Center in 2012, and she is a, an acute care OT who is working on a post-professional OTD at Boston University. Tamara is researching or has a research interest in cultural competency. So welcome to On the Air, Tamara.
1: Thank you Stephanie for having me.
0: Thanks so much for being here. Tamara works just next door at Regional One, so it's next door to our university. So very nice that we're that close. How did you first learn about occupational therapy and what made you want to decide to enter the profession?
1: Well, um I didn't learn about occupational therapy until I got into college. And it's not the most exciting story, but I love to tell it because it took so much for me to get to the point where I found what I wanted to do and to get involved into it. Um, So my freshman year, I started off being pre-med. I was taking the courses and they weren't really what I thought they would be. Um, So, I actually took a career course my sophomore year where I took a career assessment and occupational therapy was number four. Okay. So, my first one was a kindergarten teacher and I thought about it, but occupational therapy. I was going to ask you what
0: one, two, and three were. Do you remember two and three?
1: I do not. (laughs) Okay.
0: Kindergarten teacher and then OT.
1: Yes, and so I immediately reached out to my mom. She worked at Baptist Rehab in Germantown. Okay. And so she connected me with an occupational therapist, and I immediately started shadowing, um, just kind of staying in, in contact with those individuals, and eventually a rehab aid position came open. Yes. So I worked as a rehab aide, went back to college, immediately started working on the coursework, um, and I got accepted the first time around, and we've been on the
0: road ever since. Well, I beg to differ. I do think that's an exciting (laughs) story. I do. And you know, one thing that's, it's interesting, I think, because it's almost always the story we hear. It's very close. Like people are not finding out about OT. I mean, our profession's now over a century old and people are not finding out until they get to college so often. And then it's, They start out in pre-med or PT, Mm -hmm. and then something happens. I'm so glad you got to take that career assessment. You know, hate to think about what might have happened otherwise, and, Mm -hmm. you know, that you now have found this wonderful career path and and really now have, have decided to take your education even further. Yes. So very cool. Well, when you think back to your OT school days, Do you have a specific memory, something that really sticks out in your head of something that was, you know, really significant, that really was, you know, a big learning day or a project or an assignment for you?
1: Um, It's funny because the thing that I'm thinking about was not necessarily a big fun day, but I remember A&P finals.
0: Okay, that was a big day.
1: Oh, my gosh. I loved the class. It was wonderful. I think I studied for days and it was the first time I tried to take a five hour energy. And (laughs) I just made it through that final and I was so sick, but I was happy to see my grade. I think it was one of the most valuable courses and it's an awesome opportunity to learn about the body, to translate it to other things, and then to come back and be a TA and assist others was not an opportunity that I chose at the time. But looking back, that would have been something that would yes. have been a good thing to do.
0: You know, it would be an interesting study um, because I'm working on my doctorate myself. I'm always thinking about <laughs> potential studies. Nerd alert. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that. I wonder if people who felt that way at the end of, of their gross anatomy class, if they are more likely to go into acute care. Hmm.
1: That, that would be interesting. I mean, enough.
0: cause I bet that would be true. Yeah. Um, it's because not everybody feels like that. Some people just get through it and they're so glad it's over. And please don't let me have to think about it too much ever again. Yes. Kind of thought. Um, so I'm glad that was a really good experience and and I bet you do still have to call that knowledge to mind yes. a lot in your current job.
1: Yes, I try to think of the acronyms all the time.
0: Yeah, I <laughs> yes, we do have lots of little tricks of how we remember things.
1: Yes.
0: It's funny because now, you know, even in though there were a number of years when I didn't have to know certain things, that when I started teaching and I started having to teach some of those things or hearing students have to memorize or learn some of those things again, I, those acronyms came right back mm-hmm. to me. It was like, you know, in, in, in some cases it had been 20 years and I still knew that stuff from the little tricks. So, that you know, whatever it takes to get those in your brain. Yeah. So, I'd love to hear the story about how you found and landed your first job as an OT.
1: Oh, my gosh. So, I was actually on a rotation at Regional One. Um, when I set up my rotations, I tried to pick places that I would potentially want to work at. Okay. So, the places that I picked were Regional One, Health South, and the VA, which are all major systems in this area. Yes. Um. So, I started off in Health South, and I'd had some experience in inpatient just from shadowing and doing the rehab aid job. Yeah. The VA, I absolutely loved. It was mental health, but I wanted to get my feet wet in physical dysfunction first. Um, So my third rotation ended up being at Regional One. Okay. Um, It was supposed to be at the burn unit, but when I got there, they're like, oh, no, we have to go everywhere. So okay. it was absolutely amazing, and I fell in love with Trauma ICU, and so I actually um, had a job interview and everything before I left the fieldwork site. Wow. And so I just had to take my test and get my license, and I started immediately.
0: That is fast. That's a really expedited process, mm-hmm. but it sounds like it was all, the stars were in alignment for you. Yes. And any of those three places would have been great to work.
1: Absolutely. Uh, for sure.
0: Um, but it sounds like, you know, it sounds like that would just be such an exciting job. I mean... Yes there can't be a better interpretation of the phrase never a dull moment, I bet, or never a same day twice.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah, yeah. So can you describe, is it even possible to describe a typical day on the job?
1: Um, No. (laughs) Yeah. Um, when you work in the trauma ICU, you have to be a team player. Okay. That means answering the phones. That may mean going to get eyes. That may mean if there's a code going on, you need to be able to page you. You need to page, um, you need to be able to see your patient. You may have to move a patient around. You may have to travel with the nurse. You just kind of jump in where you need it.
0: That is fascinating. It's, and you named so many of those things you just named off the cuff, are not what we would typically describe as, like, quote, unquote, OT services. Right. Um, it, it, that's really interesting. I, I had the, this boss one time for quite a while, and a her, her big joke that we used to make, and she was included in the joke, was that nothing was never not her job. I mean, in, right. you know, the, what we meant by that was people would always ask her to do stuff, and it really she was a special ed supervisor this is when i worked for the school system and people principals other supervisors other therapists and people would ask her stuff like how do i get a new trash can and you know just kind of sometimes bizarre things and she never ever said that is not my job mm-hmm. and so we always used to say you know you know nothing is never her not her job you know meaning everything's always her job and it sounds kind of like that's your job mm-hmm. description mm-hmm. too mm-hmm. that if someone says i need kleenex or ice or you know whatever you so if you had to pick or list say the top 5 or so job or traits to do that job besides being competent at ot type skills could you list off things team player for one
1: yes you have to be flexible
0: yeah it sounds like it
1: mm-hmm. patient compassionate um and you can't be fearful.
0: Okay. You just have yeah. to be
1: ready to jump in and if you don't know, you have to figure it out real fast.
0: That sounds like it. I had a picture in my head when you were listing the things that you have to do in the course of a day of, you know, having to page somebody and I mean, I've worked in a hospital and sometimes the phone system can be one of the most complex things you can fi- yes. try to figure out and it's it's easy to just say, I don't know how to work this thing. Yeah. And to to have to figure it out or even to get the guts up to, like, track somebody down and, and ask them, like, you've got to show me how to page somebody or how to transfer this call.
1: Yes.
0: It's, I mean, you do have to not be afraid and, and not be too shy about it.
1: Right. I had an emergency situation recently where there was a code going on, and it was just my look. I was the person that was told to watch the phone for five minutes. Oh, And then the next thing I know, I heard, call the doctor, call respiratory, and I called the wrong respiratory therapist, but I got somebody. And after the fact, I worried about how to do it. So you just have to jump in.
0: Yes, it definitely sounds like it. So any which way you can figure out to do it is how you have to do it. Um, Do you think that that's the clinical work you'll stick with for at least a while?
1: Yeah, right now I think it's a good place to be. There's so many different people to meet, so many different experiences that you can have working in the trauma ICU. You never know who you'll come across. Um, There's always moments for growth, so I think it's a good place to be.
0: Have you taken any really interesting continuing ed courses or in-house training or anything like that since you've graduated?
1: Um, I've taken a few different things, but I've noticed that the ones that have always been most interesting to me have been related to mental health.
0: Interesting. Oh, kind of yes. back to your VA, and, and yes. I know that when you were in the program, there were a lot of mental health mm-hmm. um, components to it,
1: Yeah, so that's interesting. I absolutely love it. So mental health, when you see the trauma center, you think, oh, broken bones, yes, gunshot wounds. Knife stab wounds, car wrecks, and things like that, but the mental health aspect always works its way back in.
0: I could not agree more. I'm so glad you said that. In fact, this morning I was giving a um, a lecture on cognition Mm -hmm. to our first year students, and I said it's one of my favorite lectures. It's one of my favorite things to talk about because I feel like it overlays one of you know pretty much everything OTs do through the lifespan through a lot of diagnoses whether it's you know how somebody learns even mm-hmm. if they don't have anything going on cognitively you know it's just what type of learner are they or if they're under stress or stress or if they're stra- distracted you have to think about that and how their cognitive system is working or if they do have some kind of a neurological thing going on or something. To think about that, but I said parallel to that is mental health, and, and exactly. that's you know always, always, and I think that's part of the distinct value of OT is those two things, and we realize that they're always there. Exactly. Every scene, I don't care if you're in industrial rehab, you know, hand therapy, what anything, you know, they're always there. Exactly.
1: They
0: are. Yes, yeah, that's I, I love that you bring that into acute care, it's somewhere as busy and as. Um, you know, high rated, high ranked as regional one. Yes. Um, what is the rating of it's a, um, the classification of the hospital? It's a
1: level one trauma. Level center. one trauma
0: center. So, um, it doesn't get any busier or fast faster pace than that, does it?
1: Exactly.
0: Has there been anything that you can think of that has really? surprised you that you didn't expect coming out of OT school?
1: Not necessarily. I think everything is a surprise. Yeah. It's always a process, a journey. Every day is going to be different. It's going to be new.
0: For sure. So
1: what surprises me on Monday may not surprise me on (laughs) Tuesday. (laughs) Yes. It just kind of depends on the day and the time and over there we always have a good surprise. It could be a bad one sometimes and then later on you think about it and it's just another day.
0: You definitely have a flexibility <laughs> to you that you just kind of roll with it and what happens happens and yes. you, you, you know you handled it the best you could mm-hmm. and it's in the past I think it seems like. Um, well it sounds really exciting. It's you know <laughs> something that you're, you're almost about to recruit me. It sounds like it, your your enthusiasm is contagious for sure and it sounds like it's such a rich learning environment. It is. Um, it also sounds like an environment where it's not just OTs who are your best friends. You have other disciplines and even people who are not traditional healthcare mm-hmm. providers that you really have to buddy up to and, and that you're learning from and teaching
1: exactly. on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. We're all just a big team. So you learn who your nurses are, who your mm-hmm. doctors are, your respiratory therapists. You know that different people aren't going to like this or that. And ah. you know who you're about to run into or what they're going to expect from you and you expect from them. So it just all works out.
0: Yeah, that's that's a um, really good learning experience, I think. Mm-hmm. we um, In one course I teach, we talk about something that the book for that class calls organizational socialization, meaning kind of fitting in where you end up working or going Mm -hmm. out on field work. And I think that's kind of classic things that you do have to, you have to sort of survey the environment and the people in the environment before you start jumping into things too much. Um, So I know that you are working on your post-professional OTD, and I'm so curious to hear what was your decision-making process to get that degree and then to go to Boston University.
1: Okay, so the reason why I chose to get that degree actually had not really anything to do with OT. Um, I was working, of course, in acute care, yeah, and we were having a lot of younger children come in that weren't transferred to children's hospitals. Okay. So we tried to get different programs going and I felt like a higher degree would give me more backing um and would help me kind of detail things out and design my own programs versus having to bring in people that would cost more funding to the hospital. Okay. Um so the way that I got to the particular project is like I said, we had children that were coming in very young for gun violence. Um And it's a conflict at that age because we're not a child-friendly environment as far as patient care. We're used to treating adults. Mm -hmm. Um, So we have these young children come in sometimes, and, of course, their parents are working parents with other children. They can't be at the bedside all the time. Um, So initially, the program that I was designing would be a peer mentoring program because every now and then we get a couple of people that are in the same age range. They have experienced the same thing. Um, or we were in hopes that we could have some people that finish the hospital process and come back to be peer mentors. And basically what those individuals would do is help that person get through the hospital continuum, just kind of be an ally and a buddy and help them um, get more engaged in the rehabilitation process. Because of course a young person having such a devastating injury tends to withdraw and mm-hmm. we can't really relate because we were once kids, but that's mm-hmm. not my lifestyle right now. Um, So as I went through the research process and did more of a literature review and kind of developed the problem of the situation, um, it kind of steered me another direction. So what I'm looking at now is the cultural competency of healthcare workers with African American clients um, after trauma. And so basically what I'm looking at is um, that the fact that people of color and other um, patients, Caucasians do not get the same rehabilitation results. Um, so I'm hoping to kind of bring that gap not to a close because you can never totally mm-hmm. alleviate a problem, but kind of shed some light on it and how we can make that better.
0: I know that's a huge, huge issue, and I mean, I've I've heard even read some studies wider, more widely, and it needs to be honed in on in rehab, but in healthcare in general, mm-hmm. where people will even they're just, their complaints won't be taken seriously. Like, you know, I've got this pain in my foot or whatever. And they're like, Oh, you'd be fine. You should just go back to work. And they don't know right. it's actually something serious. And, right. you know, they, they accuse people of malingering or being wimps or, you know, just because of their race or their gender or, you know, any sort of thing, they're mm-hmm. prejudging them for sure. <clears throat> I think that's so important. And, and, educating future healthcare workers is a big piece of that but but educating current health providers is too
1: yes
0: so um very fascinating so how did you land on boston university
1: well to be honest and i'm hoping that karen doesn't hear this um <laughs> I've looked at so many different schools. I went to the ALTN yes, website. Yes, I,
0: I did that too way back and when.
1: Yes, and I had no idea that Boston University was even number one. So I looked at it and at the point that I was in my career, um, certain things were about to expire. And so, a lot of the schools required like GRE schools oh, yeah. and things like that. And that wasn't one of the requirements for Boston University. Okay, yeah. So, that's why I chose Boston University. And I'm so glad that I did. It just feels like home. They treat you like family, they're I've always heard that. available. I mean, any day, anytime you contact them, they pride themselves on getting back to you as fast as possible. And they do exactly that. Wow.
0: That's it's a, a wonderful program. That's really something to be said for that, that it's, Mm -hmm. that sounds like it's not just a job for them. It's, you know, they really seem like they know that they're shaping your, not just your career, your life. Yes. That's really cool. Um, so your research, what is going to be the end goal of your, what's going to be the outcome of your research project? Do you hope to paper, present, publish,
1: Mm, Yes, all of that. And I hope to create a program. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to decide if I would like to do an online CEU course or do an actual program with modules where I go in and I lecture and we do like roundtables and things where people can be more engaged. Because I think a lot of the problem is that people aren't aware that the biases and their beliefs and values are being presented in their treatment.
0: I agree. Yes. And
1: if they are presented with these things, then they can make the correct action that they need to so that things come across better and they have more engagement and communication, collaboration with their patients, and maybe better adherence in the long run and just affecting the whole process in the best way that I can.
0: Have you found, I actually was reading something, I think it was maybe some like a blog post written by some academic earlier this morning, and they were talking about, they had some term, and I, I'm not going to be able to remember it now, but um, it was, they were saying when you're doing a lit review or really kind of digging into the literature that sometimes you'll come across an article or a piece of information or even just a paragraph or a phrase that really turns a light bulb on for you, it, like makes you want to yell hallelujah, it really. Did, did you have sort of a pivotal moment or uh, you mentioned that you, you shifted, Mm-hmm. what you thought you wanted to study and really kind of do with that, and then you, you shifted. Mm-hmm. Did Was there a moment that that happened, or was it really gradual?
1: It was gradual, um, but as I was getting further into actually writing everything up, at one point, I'm not sure what I was looking for, but whatever it was brought up all of these articles that I felt like I had been searching for for over a year. Huh. And I don't remember what my keywords were, but yeah. there was one particular um, article, I can't think of the entire title, but basically perceived levels of cultural competency amongst occupational therapists. Yes. Um. And the author did a survey among AOTA members, and what they found was that new clinicians or students were the ones having these issues because they didn't have as much life experience and experience in the healthcare setting. Yes. So it would be great to kind of capture these students as they're in OT school or whatever type of professional schooling, um, kind of catch them before they get out into the workforce and they're exposed to the culture, culture of whatever setting that they're working in. Because sometimes other people who have been there can influence you to think something that's not necessarily true. And I've had that happen as a professional. I've had people say, oh, don't go in there because this person is going to be so rude and they just this and that. And then I go in there and I have a totally different experience because I didn't let their opinion influence what I was about to do.
0: I have had that happen too. And and to be honest, to to back what that article said, it wasn't until I was more like middle-aged and had more life experience and some personal experience on the other is a healthcare recipient, I guess that I really i guess sort of had a different view. I guess maybe I softened a little bit or mm-hmm. i I just realized that my view was harsh or judgmental or not always the case, and I didn't know everything. It was a big light bulb moment to me, like, hey, people have different reasons for doing things or not doing things and and often I don't know why. or what I think is totally wrong and it wasn't what I'd been taught or told or assumed it was kind of the opposite of all that stuff but it took me 25 years in the field to figure that out it would have been nice to have that information (laughs) (laughs) I wish I had had the spark notes (laughs) yes so I think that that is fabulous In the meantime, while you were working on that, if any OT students and or new or recent grads are listening, do you have advice for, is there any, you know, way that somebody could kind of dip their toe in and become more culturally competent or, you know, have more cultural humility in dealing with clients or interacting with clients who have different cultural backgrounds?
1: Um, I would just say if you have the opportunity to just immerse yourself in the culture, um, volunteer work is always great. And, you know, at this point in time, I'm still doing things here and there, um, as I'm able to, um, around the community, there's always different organizations. Um, I recently joined the National Black, um, Occupational Therapy Caucus. Um, COTAD is a great one that I haven't had a chance to join yet, but there are different, um, associations that encourage those things and kind of give you a road map and of course mentorship
0: yes and i know um <clears throat> for people who are minorities cotad has a, a good program mm-hmm. for that i think sometimes it's people like me who are not minorities who really want to learn how to be better mm-hmm. how to do things better that are stuck you know too i mean can we join groups like that? You know, I don't want to cause any trouble, but, you know.
1: No, I think anyone would be welcome. I remember as a student, um, I had a mentor that was an African-American male, and mm-hmm. I had no idea until I got further into occupational therapy that that was rare. Really? I had no idea. I I met so many African-American therapists, and it was not until recently that one of my peer mentors in my program Um, She said, well, you know, I just want to address the elephant in the room and be honest with you. She said, I have never worked with an African-American therapist. And we just had an open discussion. And I still, I just texted her just yesterday. Like, it's okay to say that you don't know. You don't understand, and you want to know more. Yeah, and I think that's the thing yeah. that catches people up. They just don't want to talk about it, but it's okay to talk about it.
0: Yeah, maybe just to, yeah to be open about it, mm-hmm. rather than assuming you know or acting like you think you know or you know. Exactly. I guess we need more open dialogue. I think, and mm-hmm. and that is maybe proof that you're trying to do better or trying to know more. It's all, and I mean, isn't that what OT is all about? It's being motivated to be a lifelong learner and to know to try to learn things and grow to be better at helping people so you know that this is one key way to do that yes so um well i'm looking forward to staying connected with you i think there are a lot of of great things that you've got coming just in your, in your future and a lot of great things you've got going on now. Um, Hope to, to see some things in, in your future that can be used for our students and, the community and the OT world at large.
1: Yes, I'd be glad to help in any way.
0: Awesome, awesome. Well, um, in closing, do you have a recommendation or a piece of ins- inspiration or anything you find interesting that you want to share with the listeners? Can be a quote, a book, a, a piece of music?
1: Um, something that I hear so many times a day is trust the process. And I think I told so many stories of processes of how I got to different places um, throughout this interview. So just trust the process.
0: I think that's true. Um, I know an OT who says something, kind of an offshoot of that. She says things happen organically. Mm -hmm. And when I first met her, to be honest, I didn't really know what that meant. Mm-hmm. And it's taken me a while to figure it out, but it's re- it's true. It's really kind of the same as trust the process mm-hmm. that, that it, you know, and some of it is just, you know, you can look at things positively or negatively however you want to, mm-hmm. but if you look at it positively, you can pull the benefit and the good out of most, almost exactly. all your So yes, well, I'll tell you my recommendation. Um, a podcast that I've fairly recently started listening to. I, I'm a podcast junkie. You can probably tell. <laughs> Um, Is one called Ear Hustle. And I think I would venture to say that it could help people with cultural competence. I I have learned a lot about different cultures through listening to various podcasts. Mm -hmm. Um, But this one is called Ear Hustle. And it is about, it's actually recorded, produced and recorded inside a maximum security prison, San Quentin State Prison. Oh, wow. And one of the hosts is a prisoner there, and the other one is not. Um, she's She's a radio producer, and they just, the two of them have conversations about prison life, and they'll talk about things that, you kind of might have always wondered or you might not have even known to wonder things like are people in maximum security prisons allowed to have books Mm -hmm. if so do they is there a library or how do they get the books Mm -hmm. do they share them do they what do they do you know what are their jobs do they get assigned jobs do they get to choose jobs what do they get paid you know it's things like that and it and it's so fascinating. I just, mm-hmm. I'm fascinated by it. And they have just a really good rhetoric between mm-hmm. the two of them. Um, so it's called Ear Hustle. And I really like it. It's got a little bit of humor, it's very engaging. Um, it's definitely worth listening to. Um, and it's on just all the major podcast hosts. So mm-hmm. I will Check recommend them that one too. All right. Well, thank you, Tamara. Thank you so much for being here. It's been great getting to know you and look forward to keeping in touch.
1: Yes. Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for listening. If you'd like to read the show notes or find out how to access any of the resources discussed on the podcast, you can visit the website at www.ontheair.us. I'd also like to ask you to share with others about the podcast to help us connect with even more people interested in teaching and learning about occupational therapy and OT-related topics. Thanks again, and I look forward to engaging on future episodes.